Yeah, you'll catch it? Okay, great. Thanks for watching my back. Uh, so glad to be here today. And, and again, we're going to close this sermon series of thankfulness today. And uh, we're going to call it Blessed to, be, to Bless. And I think so many times when we think God blesses us, when God does good things, it's just for our benefit, and it's not. God blesses us to do something to bless others with. God gives us things to use it to share with others and be a blessing to others around us. And so today we're going to be looking in Genesis, so if you want to go ahead and head that way, and again, we use the Bible app too. If you'd like to go there under the events page of that, you'll see Porterfield, and and you can follow along, but we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 12 starting off. And before we get there, I just think that there's a lot of times when we think about uh, God and we think about what we need or what we want, it's just uh, about us. And it's that closed off thinking that we start thinking, you know, we want God to bless our lives, but we're not thinking about what it will do for other people or how it can be used to be a blessing to others around us. That when God blesses us with things, maybe we could be a blessing to others. And so here we see the story of Abraham, and we're going to look at Abram, and his name was changed later on, but we're going to be uh, talking about him today a little bit, and then we're going to also be talking about another person in the Old Testament as well. But we want to start with Abraham, we're going to spend some time, and we'll jump around in Genesis, so keep your fingers ready uh, to move around. And I'll try to give you a little bit of time to get there. But it says in verse 1 of chapter 12, it says, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to a land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. So he's going to receive a blessing. I will make your name great, and, I, and you will be a blessing. And so he's telling him right off from the very get-go that Abraham, you're going to be somebody that's going to be recognized in the name that people are going to know and hear about. Your name is going to be great, and I'm going to bless you, but you are to be a blessing to others. Is basically what he's saying to Abraham or Abram at this point. And so I want us to, to think about that because you think about Abraham and, wow, how many religions, three major religions of the world recognize Abraham as their father? Do you realize that? That whether it's you're a Jewish person, a Christian or a Muslim even, you recognize Abraham as being the father. Now, the difference between us and Muslims is they believe that Ishmael was the promised son. And of course, we believe and know that the Bible and the scriptures teach us that Isaac was the promised child of God, that God made this promise way before Ishmael was on the scene. And that was an act of man trying to respond to God's promise versus God making sure it was carried out. See, there's a difference between man's approach to God's promises and God's approach to a promise. God will do it the right way. Man will somehow try to figure a way, a corner, a round to go about it. But yet, Abraham's name is known. He's heard about. He's talked about. You ever done the song, Father Abraham, as many sons, as many sons have Father Abraham, and I'm one of them, so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Okay, that's enough singing for Pastor Eric today. We had all this beautiful music, and then here I come in and sing, and just like totally take it away from everything that happened now. I'm just kidding. It wasn't that bad, was it? Uh, so here's the thing is that we're to be a blessing. You will be a blessing. 
And I think that's something we should recognize in our life is that, you know, God doesn't want to just bless us with things for us to hold on to and just, just pull it for ourselves. And this is a resource that I'm just going to share with me. And this is something God's blessed me with. But it should be something that we share with others. We should be looked at as, as people that are sharing the good things that God has done for us. I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about many things that God has blessed you with, talents, abilities, Actually, it made me think of this one person that I saw an article. It's Clarence L. Haynes, Jr. He wrote this, and I thought it was very good. He says, there is a simple truth to the blessing of God on Abram's life. God blessed him so that he could bless others. This truth is not just for Abraham. It is true for you and me as well. When God blesses, he never intends for it to be kept to yourself. That goes against God's character. Sorry, my technology is not working the way I want it to. So it says that truth is not. It, it, there is a simple truth to the blessings of God and Abraham's life. God, him, God blessed him so that he could bless others. This truth is not just for Abraham. It is true for you and me as well. When God blesses, he never intends it for it to be kept to ourselves. That goes against God's character. God takes from his best and shares it with you. He wants you to do the same. God gives you, God gives you many, may be for your enjoyment, God gives to, for your enjoyment, but it is not exclusively for you. God, blesses Ab God blessed Abraham so he could be a blessing. God blesses you for the same reason. Whatever degree God has blessed you, you should in turn bless others. If God has given you great wisdom, use it. If God has given you knowledge, bless it to others. If God has given you an artistic and creative ability, bless others with it. If he has given you leadership and business acumen, bless others with it. Whether God has given you much or little, you should be bless others with it. I believe sometimes it's one of the things about God's promise to be to Abraham that we overlook. And that's so true. Sometimes we overlook the fact that the reason why God blessed Abraham was not just because of his faith. He believed in, and trusted God at his word. But God wanted to use him to be a blessing to those around him. And that is one of the things that we need to think about in our own life. And this is the thing that I have been blessed with, with having my grandmother and my grandpa and my mother's side. And, and I remember one of the things that stuck out to me in my childhood is, is that I would be working on my little plastic mower because my grandpa would work on mowers for people. He would work. I mean, he worked at the Ames Shovel Plant for years, and he was bivocational pastor at Gospel Mission for years. And uh, he would do a lot of things, but one of the things he'd do is he'd work on lawnmowers for people. And I was out there in the back, and he had this little building, and he could weld and do all these things to work on lawnmowers. And I was trying to work alongside him, not doing much. You can't do much with a plastic mower. <laughs> you make sure it spins and makes the clicking sound, but that's about it. Uh, but anyhow, he'd work on it. And I remember so many times there would be people that couldn't afford to pay him. And he would say, that's all right, I just want to be a blessing to you. Let me tell you about Jesus, or let me, let me help you, and let me, I'm praying for you, and I'm here for you. Let me be a blessing to you. 
And one of the legacies that my grandma and grandpa had is they had all these foster kids that they would bring into the family. And, and they actually adopted one. And one was pretty much adopted because she was always at our house, even after she went back to be with her real mom. And one of the things that they did is they just opened up their home and invited people in. And they shared with them and they cared for them and they loved them. And another thing that my grandma did was she had these backyard Bible clubs that she would invite the neighborhood kids to come into her house and she would teach them lessons during the summer, during their summer vacations. What what has God blessed you with? What talent, what ability, what, what things in your life, what wisdom? As he talks about leadership, you know, as we think about our mission statement, and this is the thing I want us to do as a church, to just keep thinking about that mission statement. I'm not living in it. When you pull in the parking lot, I'd love for you to think about those words in your life. And as you leave the parking lot, think about those words as you leave here. The question is, are we loving people? Are we leading people? And that's a big thing I think about, and we're going to get to here in a second, about leading people. But we also should be sharing about life. We should share about Jesus. To really fulfill our full mission statement, we're about loving and leading people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. That should be our mission. That's our purpose here. Genesis chapter 15, verse 12 through 13, it says this. As the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep. And a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. This was scary stuff that he was feeling, he was experiencing. As he fell into this deep sleep, it was a nightmare. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. And they will be enslaved and mistreated. But I will punish the nations that they serve as slaves. And afterwards, they will come out of the great with great possessions. You, however, will not will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Aramites has not reached its full measure. I find this very interesting because God is telling Abraham right up front through this dream what's going to take place with his descendants. He's giving a preview. It's not something that Abraham's going to experience. He's not going to have to go through this. He's not going to have to see this happen, but he's seeing that his descendants happen. And you can tell by the way Abraham's approaching this that he's concerned. But God is giving him hope through this. He's saying that, that even though they're going to go through this valley of dark time where they're going to be slaves for 400 years, it's going to be a good thing because I am sparing the Aramites, Amorites, from total destruction. He's saying, I've got grace here for these people that they haven't re- reached their full measure of sin. In other words, he's going to hold judgment for the Aramites for f- this period of time so that they can be spared. But one day they will come back and they will take this land. You'll come back. Your descendants will come back and take what they have lost in that time of that period of time where they're enslaved in Egypt. And so it's really interesting that God is telling this to Abraham ahead of time. And the thing of it is, is that I want to share with you today that when God blesses you, when God gives you good things, there might be times where you experience valleys in your life. And sometimes we, we, we tend to think instead of the faith that we have, we think of works and we think about, well, did I do something wrong? Did I fail God in some way? Why am I going through this valley? Why am I having this struggle? And instead of thinking that maybe the reason why you're struggling or why you're going through a valley is for God to be glorified, for God to use that in some way to make a difference in somebody else's life, that God could be using your struggle to speak to others. 
I know for, for my life, when I was going through my childhood, it was a very hard, difficult childhood. And I'm not here to share my testimony today. But it was hard, it was difficult, and I didn't like it. But I know that God has used that in so many ways. And I can tell you right now, there's been times in my life where I've struggled and I've fought and, I, and it's been hard and it's been difficult. God used those moments, though, to speak to others about what he was doing in my life. God was able to show people my faith in him through that struggle. Been so many people at times that people have approached me and said, I don't know how you got through that. And what was it an opportunity for me to talk about Jesus and say, well, it's because of Jesus Christ being my strength. When I lost my mom, the reason why I was able to preach that next Sunday was because I know who holds my hand. I know that I have a Savior and a God that is with me. No matter what valleys, no matter what struggles you may face in this life, God could use that. Not just to, It's not a torment. It's not to put you down. It's not to you know, just have you fall apart. It's putting you in that valley sometimes so that God's name will be glorified, so that other people might be impacted, so other people might be reached. Let us not forget the reason why they went to Egypt was because there was a famine in the land because people had turned their backs towards God. So they went to a place in Egypt that God had prepared through Joseph who laid up this foundation of these goods so that he could be provided for. And so over this poor part of time, Joseph had passed away. And then God used the people of Israel to go through slavery to make a name for himself. How? Because he took the plagues of Egypt that he sent out to prove, disprove, really to disprove every single God that these Egyptians worshipped was an act of these plagues saying that go, God is in charge of this. God's in charge of frogs. God's in charge of locusts. God's in charge of the sun. God's in charge of the moon. God's in charge of these things. God's in charge of the rivers. And so all the plagues were speaking to these false gods that the Egyptians served. How would we get there if it wasn't to a place where God let the people of Israel be the underdog, the ones that were struggling, and then he showed them who the true God was? And it wasn't just for the Egyptians. It wasn't just for the Hebrew people. It was for the whole world to know that there is a God. Believe me, when there were stories coming out of Egypt and going to the all over the world, they were hearing about who God was. If it wasn't for those 400 years, where would the Passover be? Where would the Passover be if it wasn't for these 400 years to get to the place where they would recognize that they'd have to put blood across the door to save themselves and save their family and save their household, that God was the provider, that God was the protector, that God was their shield. God got them to a place where they could speak louder than ever before. And I know it's hard. None of us want to go through struggles, right? We want our, we want our life to be kind of easy and, and, and not with much strife. But tell you something true. It's through that strife. It's through that struggle that we, we show who we are. We show who God is. We show our faith. We demonstrate what God is doing in our life. So when we, a lot of times we want to stay on the mountain, right? We want to stay on the mountaintop. But it's through the valleys, that refine us, that make us stronger, that show and demonstrate our faith so that people can go. I mean, why do we, we obsess over this in sports, right? We watch it. We love the underdog stories. We love those teams that struggle for years. And then all of a sudden, I mean, I'm a West Virginia fan, right? I mean, we, we kind of love that. We love that struggle. And then when you get to the, close to the mountaintop, not really on the mountaintop, <laughs> 
we're like, yes, you know? Why? Why do we love those underdog stories? It's because we know that's a part of what shines. It shines. And who was the greatest underdog ever? It was Jesus. Jesus was coming and humbling himself as God himself. So God experiences this. He's saying, I'm willing to go down to the valley. I'm willing to go down to the lowest of the low. You know, when I was thinking about last week when I preached about Jesus washing his disciples' feet, that was the lowest point Jesus could go to serve. He went down to creation's feet, and he served mankind by washing the disciples' feet, saying, hey, I'm coming down this low. As we celebrate Christmas that Jesus came in a manger, I'm coming the lowest of the low to serve mankind. I'm going down to the valley. What if we thought of our life, that we could be a blessing so much to others that we're willing to embrace the valleys of our life so that other people can know that God is real, that this is an opportunity that we may face, that we don't want to go through and we're scared and we're afraid and maybe we have doubts. But we want to let that valley be a spokesperson in our way or let it be, help us to be that spokesperson so that God can shine to those around us. Because, you know, you think about it. I don't want to be morbid here, but think about it. most of us, we, we probably won't see 100 years old. We probably won't see that. Maybe some of you take care of yourselves, you work out, you eat well, good job for you. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, but maybe, maybe some of us will live to be 100, but not most of us. What are we trying to grasp hold of if it's not for eternity? And the difference you can make with your life that you have now is going to be worth it if you understand that the valleys shouldn't be dreaded. The valleys and the difficult times should be an opportunity for us to do something great for him. It should be an opportunity for his name to be glorified. And that's what Abraham was being shown. There's going to be some dark periods in the history of the Jewish people, and there have been dark periods of the Jewish people. But God has always been faithful, and he's always been true. And everything that's happened is to bring God glory so that they may see Jesus who came to die for their sins. So as we talk about this full measure of sin, there's this grace that's given to us. There's this opportunity that God gives us all. That thankfully, isn't this amazing that we, God is the same in the Old Testament as he is in the New Testament. God is still patient. God is still willing to wait. God used Noah to preach to the people even though no one believed Noah that it was going to rain. God used Noah to speak, and here you saw this ark for hundreds of hundred years being built, and still they did not believe and trust what Noah was preaching. But God still was showing grace to wait and wait and wait until the last possible second. And then he closed the door. We serve a God who's so gracious and so loving, whether it's you're, you're you know, going back to the Jewish people or you're going back to the whole world, God wants to wait for opportunities that people might turn and repent, just like the city of Nineveh. The city of Nineveh, where Jonah did not want to go to, he wanted to save that city. He wanted to spare that city. He wanted to give that city a chance to turn their ways. We serve a gracious and loving God. Why should we be surprised at the world and, and where they're headed and where they're going? You know, our God is so gracious and so loving. He will wait till the last possible second to find somebody that will say, hey, I will choose you. I will follow you. Because he loves us. He loves you. He loves me. And he's willing 
to be patient. He's willing to give us grace. Genesis chapter 18, verse 17 through 19, it says this. It says, Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to go do? Then Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all the nations on the earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. So the Lord with, will, will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. And so one of the things I want us to highlight on here is the fact that Abraham was, was, was blessed because of his faith first. His faith made him righteous in God's eyes. Because he listened to God, he obeyed God by faith, trusting in what God was saying. He trusted the Lord. He trusted God. And so one of the other reasons why God blessed him is because he wanted to send him on this mission to direct his children and teach his household. Now his household, that meant like anybody that was associated with Abraham. So that was servants, that was slaves, that was anybody that had anything to do with Abraham. That he was not just teaching his family, but he was teaching his household. Everybody that was in his moving party as they traveled around, that God was blessing and wanting to use Abraham to teach and to lead. As I mentioned about the person that uh, Clarence who shared that about leadership and sharing your leadership skills. And as we talk about our mission statement here at church that we're called to love people and we're called to lead people and we're called to share life with people. And that's through the gospel message of Jesus Christ. We should be leaders. We should be setting the tone. Let's not wait on the world and be uh, retroactive to the things of the world. Let's be proactive. If we are scared about the future, let's invest in the future. Let's, let's train people up so that they know how to stand on God's word. Let's teach kids. And that's why I'm so thankful for our children's ministry and Trisha and others, uh, all the volunteers that we have to do such great things in our children's ministry because we should be teaching our kids how to live for God. This is what Abraham was assigned to do was to share the wisdom that God had given him and share the way to, to live his life for Christ or live his life for God uh, Christ was to come later, but it is interesting because he gives them a preview of Jesus, as we'll find out here in a little bit. It says, direct, again, direct his children and his household to keep the way of the Lord. You know, what if we looked at the, our lives as investing in others, that we're making a deposit in the young people that we have around us? We look at ways that we can invest in them to help them become better leaders. If I, can, if I can help people in the church become better workers in their jobs, to give them the wisdom and the knowledge to become better employees, if I, can, if I can share with others how to be good people and how to live a good life, how to take care of their finances. You know, we have skills that we can pass on, but are we passing that knowledge that we have and are we teaching people the word of God to let them know who to put their trust in? I hope and pray that generations after me will serve the Lord and know where to stand after me. And I think that's all of our heart. But a lot of times, do we put the intentionality into it? Do we really go the extra mile? You know, I was thinking about this and I was telling the kids yesterday that I'm, I need to go out and and teach them about, you know, the cars and how to take care of them, how to oil change. Because I didn't have a dad in my life that showed me those things, that really took the time to show me that stuff. And so I don't even feel like I'm really confident. I'm not like Earl Heft. I'm not, I'm not, I don't have all that wisdom or all that knowledge. 
So I'm, I'm kind of, you know, kind of learning as I go. And, and so I want to help my kids to have more success in that. Well, wouldn't I want to do that with the Word of God? Wouldn't I want to do that with Jesus talking to them about my faith? I mean, they sometimes get tired of me because they say I get in preacher mode. <laughs> You're in preacher mode, Eric, <laughs> our dad. And then sometimes that's very true. But anyhow, what, what opportunities are we given to teach and to lead others? Make use of that. You know, as I think about this, this is, this is you know, my family's over here. My children are right over there. I'm missing one, but he's, he's helping out in the nursery, which I'm proud of. But, you know, my kids are here, so I, I want to teach them. What does it say, though? It says household. I think this is part of our household. This is the family of God. What, what difference am I making for you? How can I bless this church? How can I lead myself and lead the church in the right direction? How can you lead this church? How can you invest in others in this household? That you're passing that legacy down so that they know how to live for Christ, that they know how to live for the Lord. Moving on to Genesis chapter 22, verse 16 through 18, says this, and this is at the end, so it kind of seems a little off as I read it because I'm picking up in the middle of the story, but I'm sure you will all be familiar with it. It says, and he said, and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me and so this story is a powerful story what we don't talk about very much is in the old testament there was a lot of other religions that would worship gods that were false and they would offer their children their children as sacrifices to their gods we don't like to hear that it's kind of an icky story right it's just disturbing when you think about it and God's only the only time he ever got close to asking for this was with Abraham and if you read the Levitical laws you'll see that this is not what God wanted at all for anybody but what he was he was testing Abraham because he said Abraham I'm going to make your descendants great as the stars in the sky as the sand on the seashores you're going to have great descendants you're going to have a great nation and he says I want you to test it though Offer your son. This thing you've been waiting on your whole life. This thing that you wanted. And you wanted to have an heir. You wanted to have this son in your life. And you wanted this so bad and so desperately. This thing that you really want. I'm asking you to just surrender it to me now. I'm asking you to give it over. And so he took his son to this place. To offer his son as a sacrifice to God. And it's like, whoa, this story. I don't like this story. You know, This is not an easy story. I mean, I can't imagine doing that myself. But he was asking Abraham to trust him. And Abraham trusted him. And because of his trust in God and his faith, whether he believed that God would take Isaac and rise him up again or that God would, would he knew God was going to do something because he knew his promise that he had made to him. And so he gets to the place and he has the wood and everything. And we're going to read that passage later during communion. But he honors God. And God says, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this, I will not withheld your son. You, you did not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you 
and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. See, it's very interesting. God was giving Abraham a preview of what God himself was going to do. And this is one of the things I always thought about when I was a kid. Like, why, why would God send his son to die on a cross? That seems so harsh, right? Like, God, is there any other way that you could provide, that you could bring atonement, that you had to send Jesus to die on a cross for my sins? That, that just doesn't seem right. But you know what's cool about God is he, and I even thought about this with king of kings, you know. Mankind was wanting a king and having these leaders to be these people that would be these, these great, they would be like, my king's better than your king. And they'd worship the king and they would honor the king and they would have all these kings that they would call king of kings and all these things. And God's like, no, that's not, that's not what we're about. I'll show you who a real king is. And he's going to go low. He's going to go very low and he's going to serve mankind. And he's going to give his life, and that is the real true king. God has a way of speaking. So, in other words, all these other religions require a, a sacrifice of a child. God says, if that's what speaks to you about love, I'm going to give my own son. And I'm going to let him die for you. If that's what tells you that love is, if that's a real sacrifice in your mind, I will do it myself. And I'll let my son be the beacon of hope for the whole world. I just think it's fascinating how God speaks to us, that he wants to come down to our level and help us understand. And so all nations will be blessed. All nations will be blessed. And who is that? Who's that talking about? Who's that? How's, how's, how's Abraham going to be a blessing to all these other nations? How is he going to impact all these other nations? You know, there's all these rival kings. How's one person or how's Abraham's descendant going to be a blessing to all nations? How could that happen? Well, it happens because of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is being shared throughout the whole world. And there is a kingdom that is not an earthly kingdom, not in the approach that we think as mankind of having something nice and a nice palace and all these things. But a spiritual kingdom. That you can be a part of a kingdom that has no boundaries, that will last forever. And so God used Abraham and his faith to pass down through all the descendants of Abraham to get to Jesus so that Jesus could be a blessing to all nations. And why was that? Because of Abraham's faith and his willingness to obey. Galatians 3, chapter 8, verse 10, it says this. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. This is a powerful scripture that Paul wrote that I think it's very poignant. He's saying that, that Abraham had this faith, and this faith is what saved him. So there's two things to think about. One, you're cursed if you live by the law. If you're living just by the law, if you're living by works, if you're living by just trying to do everything right and perfect, then you're cursed. Why? Because you're, you're, you're trusting just in the law. You're trying to do good, and you're trying to do this, live this perfect life, and you can't. See, the thing of it is, is we all need to recognize the law shows us that I'm a sinner. 
I've sinned against God. I've coveted things. I've, I've done things that I've lied and I've bared false witness against my neighbor. I've done things that have disobeyed and dishonored God. The law is meant to show that I'm cursed. But faith, faith on the other hand, is a blessing. Faith is, we are blessed by faith because by, faith, by putting our faith and trust in Christ, we recognize that he is our hope. He is our savior. He is our redeemer. He's the one we live for. And so we, by faith, we can trust in him and, and put him, allow him to work in our hearts and our lives. So now I'm going to move on to another area, 2 Kings, or yeah, 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 14, it says this, and I'll take a break for a second if you'd like to turn there, so 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 14, this is one of those stories in the Bible that really bother me, and I think you'll, you'll see why here in a moment too. It says in verse 14, Then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and asked, what did, you, what did those men say? And where did they come from? From a distant land, Hezekiah replied. They came from Babylon. The prophet asked, What did they see in your palace? They saw everything in my palace, Hezekiah said. There is nothing among my treasures that they did not, I did not show them. Verse 16, Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all your proceeds have, you have stored up until this day, predecessors have stored up until this day, will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood, who will be born to you will be taken away and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. And so this is a really, really interesting story because Isaiah is sharing with, with Hezekiah, this king, the fact that bad things are going to be happening here soon because he showed him and he kind of bragged about, look at everything I have, these foreigners from Babylon. And if you know the story, Babylon, it gets to become a, a superpower and they come in and overtake Jerusalem, and they do the very thing the prophet Isaiah says is going to happen. And so they take all these things away from Israel. They take all these treasures that will be taken away. But what I'm bothered by is this. I'm bothered by Hezekiah's response. Because in verse 19, this is what Hezekiah, or how Hezekiah responds. The word of the Lord you have spoken is good. What? The word of the Lord you have spoken is good. Listen to this. Hezekiah replied, for he thought, will there not be peace and security in my lifetime? Will there not be security and peace in my lifetime? So he's thinking, he's hearing about how his descendants are going to lose their ability to have offspring. He's hearing about how all the things that his predecessors, everything that's been built so far in the kingdom of Israel is going to be taken out and just ruined. And he's hearing all this that's going to happen. And he doesn't care. He's not emotional about this. He's not bothered by this. He's not affected by this. If you read this story a few chapters before this, it's very interesting because Hezekiah gets sick, right? He gets sick, deathly sick. And he's going to die. 
And Isaiah sends a prophet, or sends a messenger, I'm sorry, to go talk to Hezekiah and let him know that, hey, you're you're going to die. You're going to die. And so Hezekiah, what does he do? He responds and he starts crying out to God. He said, God, give me more time. God, please give me more time. Let me live a little longer. Let me have some more years here on earth. And so God hears his cry, gives him 15 more years of life. So we know that Hezekiah was a believer. We know that Hezekiah knew that God was there. But what is Hezekiah thinking? He's thinking selfishly. In this moment that I read a little bit ago, is that he's thinking, hey, I'm going to be taken care of. I've got good years ahead of me. Won't there be peace? Won't there be prosperity in my time? Won't there be security? Nothing bad's going to happen to me. I'm going to think about it. Is that my attitude towards God? Is that my attitude to the people I serve? As long as I'm taken care of, as long as there's peace and prosperity for me, as long as there's security where I don't have to face any difficulties in my life, is that what we want? Or do we want to do something that helps the next generation out? Do we want to be a blessing to the next generation? Do we want to encourage the next generation? Because I think we should be living for more than just ourselves. We should be living for something that lasts longer than that. But yet that's what he was worried about. That's what he was concerned with, was with peace and security. What does Jesus tell us about this? Matthew chapter 10, verse 34 through 38, it says this. Do you not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth? I did not come to bring peace. What? Jesus didn't come to bring peace? Didn't we just sing about peace? I always think that is interesting too because when the angels say peace on earth, we we misunderstand that. Jesus is the peace. Peace on earth is Jesus. In this life, you're going to have problems. In this life, it's not going to always be easy. Jesus says, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have not come to turn, I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. What? Verse 37, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life and will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. See, we go back to Abraham and this point that Abraham was being taught this lesson. You wanted this son, right? You wanted this son. Now give him back over to me. I can't tell you how many times in my own personal life God has revealed something to me and said, Eric, I want you to have this. And then he's like, well, give it back up. Why? Because it's God that's my treasure. It's not this thing that he's wanting to give me or bestow on me. God wants to do good things in your life, but it's not the main prize. The main prize is God himself. The main gift giver is God. And so sometimes we, we want to worship creation. We want to worship this thing that we have and not worship and recognize who God is. And so moving on to this idea that peace and security versus sword and loss. I think we all see it coming, right? I don't think we need to be, uh, I think we all see that the world is changing around us, that 
More people often than not are more hostile with Christian things. I don't want to talk, I don't really need to talk about issues. I just want to talk about the fact that when it comes to Christianity, less people are tolerant to hear about Jesus. It seems like it's becoming harder. I'm not saying we should stop at all. We should press into it, really, and be the leader and keep sharing. Not in an obnoxious way, but in a loving, caring way, we should continue to share about Jesus. And no matter what restrictions we have, we still hope to be that light in the world that people can see our love for Jesus Christ, right? But we can all see that the world is hostile more to Christianity than ever before. Do we want to live in a peace and security just for us? Or do we want to, do we want to be a difference maker? Do we want to leave a legacy so that our kids will stand up for Jesus? Do we want to empower those in the next generation and the generation after so that they can grow up to become warriors for Christ? And other than thing, this is what I want to say. Am I willing and are we willing to face the hard stuff so that other people don't have to? Am I willing to let my light shine so that other people can see the good things of my Lord and my Savior? Because I think about this. You know, when Jesus died, there was no fanfare. There was no big celebration. Yes, Jesus died. Yes, awesome. Thank you, Lord. I mean, there was probably people that were glad that Jesus died for the wrong reason, but no one was celebrating Jesus' death because they, were, they didn't want to see Jesus die, right? They loved him. And I think about all the disciples when they died. Was there a big celebration? When, the, when Paul was, was cut down and he was beheaded, was there, was there happy people there? I mean, people that hated Paul probably, but it was a sad moment. But from those moments, look at what God has done. Look at Paul's writings. Look at how many generations have been impacted by the writings of Paul. Look at the legacy that Jesus was able to build with one life that he gave to the whole world that everyone even people that don't believe in Jesus know his name enough to use it in vain, right? Only God could do that. So the question is for me, for myself, am I looking at peace and security? Or do I want to understand that there's going to be hard decisions down the road that there may be valleys that I may have to go through at times in my life so that I can do good in this life, so that I can make a difference in this life, so I can be used by God. As we move into this time of communion, as you take your communion cup, and I think we'll have some light music in the background to kind of